Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thank you for tuning in. This episode was a first for me. Many people record their podcast remotely, but I usually have the YouTube version and so mine are always in person. But a huge thank you to Stephen Russell, the Dynamic Deputies, for not only being my first remote podcast guests, but also teaching me how to do it. It was frantic right up to the last second, trying to find compatible equipment, but we managed it. And what a great interview it was. We basically just chatted about what schools are facing right now in the current times, you know, whilst they are closed, but open, but also closed due to the coronavirus. And I can honestly say it was a lovely way to spend a Thursday evening. And Steve and Russell are just such lovely, genuine guys who just want to do right by their children and staff. I just wanted to let you know too, that it was my first time recording this way and I'd not turned the Google notifications off. So there's a few times when you'll hear that ding, but don't go running to your laptop. Honestly, it's not another notification from a child. It's just me. Let's get to the interview. So, Steve Russell, or the Dynamic Deputies, as I feel like I should call you, um, welcome to the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be Thank here. Thank you very much. Um, so, I'm having an experience for the first time, although you... so. Just to put everyone in the picture, this is the first time I am doing a podcast on Zoom um, remotely. So I've come online and they've showed me how to do it, which is great. Thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. So I'm able to do the rest of them now. Um, so yeah, that was an experience for me. So we're going to do our best to, to do a podcast um, remotely so that you still get it. So you're not going to get a YouTube version, but you will get this audio version. So... Who wants to go first? Russ will take the lead. Go on, my friend. Okay. There you so, go. Do you want to tell me, Russell, then, who you are and why we should listen to you? Tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I've got a good reason for you to listen to me. Um, my, name, <laughs> my name is Russell. So Steve and I are really, really good mates. We used to work together uh, in Kent as two assistant heads. Um, I then broke his heart and, and left Kent and moved to Devon. And uh, since then, we've both become deputy heads. And uh, a couple of years ago, Steve and I just sort of said, isn't it a shame that we've stopped talking about school stuff and having that kind of professional dialogue? So one sort of summer day when we were both a bit bored, we decided to start up a podcast, a Facebook group, a Twitter group, uh, Twitter page. And yeah, the rest is history, really. And it's kind of grown and we've just created this nice little community, really, and met lots of nice people like yourself. It is a nice community. Yeah. Do you want to just shout out what that community is? Oh, go on, Steve. You can do this bit. <clears throat> I can plug it. Um, so our Facebook group, Claire, is called Make an Impact Education. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also on Twitter at Dynamic Depths. Um, and we're on Instagram now. We're in the real early days of being on Instagram. Um, tiny one, but at Dynamic Depths as well for that. So anyone who wants to join us, we're obviously always open and we're trying to grow really organically. So just let mm -hmm. it do its thing. And it's uh, developing into a very good community and a really supportive one and I think that's the main thing me and Russell went to collaborate 
and therefore we love the fact that people are collaborating within the group as well yeah yeah it's good i'll have to follow you on instagram i'm um i'm also trying to grow my instagram but oh it just yeah it's, it's not the easiest thing is it um no. okay so steve then tell me everything about you uh, well like russell said um i've been at one school uh, for nearly nine years now and started as an NQT. Uh, Russell joined me at the school a few years into my journey there. Um, over time, we developed into middle leaders and then we went into assistant heads together um, on a part-time basis so with both class teachers and assistant heads. Um, then Russell did break my heart, like you say, but it's enabled us both to really develop well across the country. And then from that, we've always had that enthusiasm of education. Um, and really what we've looked at over the last couple of years, like Russell said, is just developing a way that we can harness that with each other so that we're still in contact and not just talking about football all the time, but also develop that education vibe and see what's out there as well. Because we did best learning from each other and then we know there are thousands of people we can learn from as well. I love that you've kept in touch because often work colleagues, you don't. Uh, and just to tell everybody, we started this podcast, well, we were supposed to start around... Um, 8.30 so there's some real commitment going on here <laughs> um, <laughs> to get this podcast out to you because we're all um, in lockdown and we have to make sure that we do it after the children have gone to bed um, when there's no noise. So Russell where are you now then? So you, you've, you've moved to Kent but what's your role now? I moved, I moved from Kent down to Devon. Um, my role, that's all right. My role now is uh, when I first moved down, I was an assistant head of a large three form entry uh, primary school. And I've since moved to take my first deputy head job. So I've been there a year and a half. Um, and I love it. I absolutely love my job. I mean, I'm in Exeter in an amazing two form entry school. And I just feel like I've kind of found a school where I really belong, where the staff team are all just sensational and committed. And they've really shown that recently. I know we're going to talk about the current climate and everything we're coping with. But yeah, love it, love it where I am now. But being able to keep in touch with Steve is awesome. Oh, good. Thank you. So, yes, I, I did. Um, so we, we'd planned to do a podcast quite a while ago. And then, um, you know, we wanted to do it face to face if possible. But actually, um, because we're having to embrace remote uh, recording and things, I thought it would be great to, to get in touch with you guys, but also talk about what is happening right now, you know, with the coronavirus crisis. Um, so you can, um, who wants to go first? It doesn't really matter, but I'd really like both your input on this question. You know, how do you feel then knowing that your schools have to stay open to care for the children of key workers? And that's potentially putting your staff and, and your children at risk. And I think, you know, it's important to say there, isn't it? It's not, it's not just the children at the school at risk. It's your own children, your family at risk. Probably quite interesting to hear our different perspectives because, like Steve says, he's had to isolate from early on. He'll tell you a bit more about that, um, mm -hmm. where I haven't yet. Um, and I'm hoping not for a while. Um, I feel like that's an enormous burden, you know, um, you are being thrown into a position in leadership where you're having to make decisions about something you have never had training in and never had any practice in. And I'm used to making tough decisions and having to, you know, be brave in my decisions, but not on this scale. Um, so I feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility not to get it wrong and not to put people in unnecessary risk. 
but I feel like I'm learning like every day about what I should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and thanks to the patience of my staff, I kind of, they're kind of adapting daily to when I say, actually, we're going to do it this way. Um, and I think at the, at the moment it's a real time for leaders to be okay with sort of changing their plan. My plans have changed on almost like every two days and my own head teacher um, had to isolate this week for 14 days. So I've kind of had to carry on at school and she's been at home having to kind of keep in touch with me. And I know that's been really stressful for her, just not being able to be there in the building um, and help with things. And Steve, you're probably, you're probably kind of relating to that being stuck at home. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, I have, I went off nearly two weeks ago now. I'm going back on Monday. That's my 14 days up. Um, it was incredibly hard to be on the outside looking in and supporting remotely. And you know, we have conference calls daily and emails exchanged, everything's going on. But when you're not actually in the building, it feels a little bit hypocritical to just be advising from afar, but expecting the staff to go in when I'm not there. So there is a burden of guilt um, from not being there and having to isolate, but we have to follow the rules as well. And I've had symptoms and so has my partner and so have the children. However, you can't clarify, you can't say for certainty yeah. that it is COVID. It could literally be a heavy cold, it could be anything. So there is that balancing act as well. But um, I think in terms of the staff, I'm really proud of everyone that's involved in it. And I've really seen a coming togetherness. Uh, we've had middle leaders step up and uh, they've been incredible. The support staff, everyone's volunteering to do literally everything to make sure key worker children are okay. Um, I think we're showing the compassion understanding that if people have prior um, health conditions, anyone at least social distance do so but they have been so active in wanting to be part of the school. It just shows how, as a community, we can really rally round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we've seen that everywhere, haven't we? Um, across the entire country, but and not just in the education sector. Um, <clears throat> what did you feel about the guidance given from the government? I think we were all expecting this to happen, and I, I'll be uh, surprised if anyone yeah. didn't. I think the timing... Timing was more the issue. The fact if we were given a week's notice to close schools, if they said the previous Friday, look, it looks like we're going to be closing schools, um, I think it'd be more accepted. However, um, got to support the fact that this has been a rapid, mm. rapid change over time. I don't blame anyone for the actions that have actually happened and where they've gone. Um, we'd have all liked a little bit more time, but actually, things were put in place and they weren't working. It was a constant, evolving situation. It's, a, it's new for all of us, but um, I can't be too critical, but at the same time, would we have liked a bit more time and a bit more notice? Yes. Would we have liked a bit more clarification about key worker children? Because from afar, I'm sitting there thinking, how do we actually tell the parents who key workers are? And we were expecting guidance one night and we didn't get it until the next afternoon. That yeah. was incredibly stressful for everyone, uh, let alone me from afar. But I know, Russell, you actually took the option to not send out a letter until you knew that's right isn't it yeah last week was was crazy i mean if you took the <laughs> i was talking to a colleague the other day about how quickly the week evolved you know by the monday you knew something big was on the horizon but you weren't sure how big and when and i actually still had someone's mid-year review meeting on the monday like we were <laughs> genuinely chatting about and she was going do you think we'll still have sats and i'm going like maybe not but shall we just have a bit of a chat anyway and you know <laughs> made it much more informal than normal and just had a bit of a catch-up 
then yeah. Tuesday it was kind of like I was doing a bit of teaching and stuff and I was like oh it's starting to feel a little bit odd now I feel like something might you know be coming soon and then Wednesday uh, was the first day that numbers really started to drop in school and then there was the big announcement and then Thursday like so within a week just everything changed so by Thursday we had a really good email ready to go to parents about uh, the provision we were going to offer in this kind of open closed um, version that we're we're going to be in mm-hmm. and um, and I was you know dying to get it out on the Thursday so that I could have responses from parents in good time to kind of confirm people's places and stuff so to not then have that until sort of gone midnight on the Thursday to Friday and then have to get up in the morning and deal with that wasn't Mm. the nicest thing in the world but at the same time I do appreciate the government is having to deal with something that they've never had to before and the um kind of the evidence and the the data around it um kind of renews every every single day so they've constantly got to reassess the guidance and advice and while notice is really nice about things I suppose to pay devil's advocate if they had told us a week in advance that schools were going to close the nation might have really gone bonkers earlier than it needed to and all the panic buying and stuff might have started earlier so yeah. I kind of see things from both sides no I, I completely agree and it's interesting because we kind of called this um maybe three weeks before schools closed and we said they'll close on on that day um mm. and they didn't and I remember those first couple of days we, we kind of got everyone together at the new office and we said to everyone that schools are going to close and we have to think about that as a business and we definitely had a bit of schools will never close and then mm. I walked away and thought, am I crazy? No, mm. no, no, I'm not. Um, and thankfully, we carried on on the same path. But it's very difficult to plan for something that you don't know. And, I get, and the government are in the same position, aren't they, really? Um, yeah. It's very difficult. But I know that there has been quite a lot of uproar about the guidance. But I think it's not necessarily the guidance, is it? It's, it's the fact that it hasn't been able to be timely because of the circumstances. I think the thing is schools are really good at acting quick on things and coming up with a plan so we like to be a day or two ahead of the problem and things like the free school meals has been a real stress hasn't it because it was kind of like oh so there's going to be a voucher system oh so so when's that and uh, but in the meantime yeah so in the meantime you can either sort of do your own meals or you can like get some vouchers and it's kind of like well my school meal provider has suddenly closed shop this week midweek so that plan's gone down the pan I mean, do I do I just go up to Sainsbury's and say, can I have like 500 quid's worth of vouchers? But like, so we're not prepared for that. So, I mean, yeah. I welcome that they will probably think things through properly and thoroughly and come up with something um, sort of universal that works. Um, it's just always been those few days behind, but I get it. It's it's a mad, mad situation. Yeah. Room. It is difficult. Um, okay then, so Russell, do you want to take this one first? Um, so how did your school then inform the pupils of the virus kind of without scaring them and i'm, t- I'm talking about things like you know that they needed to wash their hands more and, mm. and the school would be closing i think one of the decisions we made early on is that we weren't going to get everyone into a big assembly and talk about it because that would just heighten anxiety and make it feel really big and really huge so we very much said sort of have conversations in your own classes where it feels quite calm and it feels very normal um, but at the same time we're dealing with something that's really not normal um, and yeah. the ability of a, like I covered year six on Tuesday and Wednesday I was teaching in there and actually I was able to have a really frank conversation with them and I was you know I got a bit of a maths lesson out of this idea of flattening a curve and <laughs> we yeah, were talking yeah, yeah. about what the government were trying to do and they kind of got it and they understood it with a bit of an explanation where 
three-year-old in our nursery is going to find that harder to understand. So I think we very much trusted that our staff knew the kids and they knew how to tailor the message to them. That being said, um, this week, uh, sorry, not this week, um, Friday before we closed, we did say to the staff, you know, would you like us to do a couple of assemblies? By then, I mean, numbers have dropped about 50, 55% of the kids anyway. Mm. And we did in phases, we did kind of uh, assemblies around like more around the change they were about to go through and I always look for a story in these situations and I pulled out Anthony's Anthony Brown's changes which I often use at the end of a school year around just that weird feeling that you get when something new is about to happen mm. and, and really just did a bit of a PSHE assembly around you know it's really normal to feel really anxious at the moment and particularly the assembly was more for those kids who were going to be at home and just sort of saying you're still part of our school family and we're going to be thinking about you and interacting with you because that was my big worry they'd feel kind of abandoned yeah very similar Claire um, that's the approach that our school's really taken it's kind of been a drip feeding system we've we've been quite fortunate that we were looking at hygiene this year anyway and we had like germ buster displays up in school and everything so children are very familiar with how to have the highest standards of hygiene but we were kind of drip feeding news rounds here and there as well because news round the five minute little uh, tidbit of news round every day they covered it in such a gentle manner with doctors on there as well to just drop in hygiene reasons. But we couldn't hide from the fact that children on the playground were talking about the coronavirus. And yeah. therefore, we, we kind of had to face it head on to inform them as well, but and to really think about their own well-being and their anxiety. Because naturally, some children might put on this bravado of like, oh, yeah, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to affect me. And children were treating each other differently as well. Um, there were elements of people saying, oh, I can't go near you, you might have the coronavirus. And so we had to tackle that um, yeah. and then really educate the children and to inform them of changes that were going to happen over time. And like Russell said last week, when the numbers started plunging from a two-form school going down to 180 children, then going to 50 to 30, that was a natural change for children to see. that They were thinking, wow, this is abnormal, but actually it's happening in our school now. So again, educating them and making them aware of the problem instead of hiding from it, kind of set them up better for schools closing. Mm. It's very difficult. Um, my daughter, so she's three in nursery, and, um, you know, I told her about the germs and I've got to stay inside. But even now she'll go, oh, we've, we've to FaceTime granddad. He's not allowed out because of the germs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we pick up these things, don't they? Um, mm. Roll it away. Um, but apart from that, she doesn't seem too phased yet. She's, I don't think she's really noticed that we're not going out much because I haven't kind of said, oh, you know, we're not allowed out, <laughs> which is a good thing. Mm. Okay, then. So what have you done then in terms of remote learning? Um, have, have you set up any remote learning? Did you get any guidance or support or recommendations for, for what, what worked well or did you figure it out yourselves? Russell, did you want to talk about Purple Mesh? Because I know you use it as the way, but we've kind of gone down that route. Um, as well as for us, Claire, I know we've had to really think about children don't always have access to online learning anyway, yeah, so we've had yeah. to provide it. And we've got some children who we know are more vulnerable. And if they're at home, then we need to make sure it's accessible for them as well. So mm -hmm. it's providing, simply providing paper copies in the interim, but looking at what we can give them to ensure that they can keep that normality of learning but I know Russell you've really tried with purple math so far haven't you 
Yeah, well, our, our challenge was the turnaround again, you know, even though we sensed yeah. this was probably coming, you have to put something together that initially is potentially for the time being and it can evolve or it can change once we've got a bit more time to think about it. Um, Purple Mash is a computing program, if you don't know it, that yeah. you know we use in school anyway and the kids really enjoy and um, works pretty well. It has crashed a couple of times, but I think that's most sites to be honest just because the demand um yeah. so so you can do set like to do's on there but for some of our staff they were already really confident with that and some needed a very quick bit of cpd so thankfully our computing lead was amazing and knocked up a very quick sort of mini staff meeting um on wednesday thursday thursday morning i think at 8 15 um for for teachers just around how they could do a few cool little things like record little audio um instructions and set tasks and how they can snip certain images in and things so one of the things we tried to do early Claire was set quite a sensible expectation from teachers because I'd been reading lots of blogs about um, teachers in Italy Spain etc who have been doing this for a bit longer and what a lot of them were saying was what schools have set up has been completely unmanageable and it consumes your day um, even though it sounds like it's not going to be so much work it's actually a lot and keeping up with some sort of interaction or feedback so we literally um, set up that, you know, each day the teachers would set an early bird mass task. And if you don't know much about early bird mass, you need to talk to Chris Dyson from uh, Parklands in Leeds. But that's just like a daily arithmetic um, sort of set of questions each morning, um, a one off writing task and then something a bit sort of what you might call topic in the afternoon. Um, yeah, yeah. And just sort of those three things, maybe a bit of spelling, the times table rock stars, which is just amazing and a big part of our school anyway. Um, and that was the kind of basic expectation. Now, it, a week in, that's actually a lot to maintain in itself for 30 different kids with all the interaction and the checking yeah. and so on. So we're trying to keep that quite sensible. Um, but yeah, we're having to figure out ways of doing things that we haven't before. And I think we just have to be kind to ourselves and say it doesn't have to be the perfect platform and the perfect kind of way of doing home learning. And Steve's right. I mean, uh the kind of tech part of this is is a real challenge for some families so we did on the wednesday anticipating that the announcement was about to come we knocked up workbooks for every child that had the it did have their passwords and things in it and it did have a guidance to what home learning might look like but it also had a sheet of kind of other things you can do at home if, if mm -hmm. um e-learning is a challenge yeah <coughs> really intense isn't it i certainly am feeling that so um so so hattie's teacher she, I, I'm amazed to be honest because I never expected her to. Is I mean she's a nursery, but now she's on Google Classroom and we get like yeah. three videos a day. She reads them a story. She she did like Do Disco today. We haven't had time to do that. And <laughs> <No. laughs> um, she's done. And oh, we've had this thing through where we've got to get some stuff together for tomorrow. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm really about to find a paintbrush and a bucket. <laughs> Oh dear. I mean, nursery teachers are smashing this. I mean, my uh, shout out to my one, Bridget. Um, she is setting all sorts of lovely videos and the parents are just loving life. In fact, the teachers are loving watching Bridget's videos because they're so lovely. <laughs> um, but I think I really relate to what you're saying. Or probably my wife does, who's been, is a teacher, been at home with the girls a lot. Um, that pressure, you do feel that you're meant to be pro you know, providing this great education for them at home. And we're teachers and feeling like we're not really keeping yeah. up. Yeah. So I think one thing that's really good um, is to be sort of using your parents as a bit of a sounding board and sending emails out just saying, look, 
you give us a bit of feedback, what's working, what isn't. Nice thing with Purple Mash that you can do is you can impersonate a pupil, so you can go in and see what they see. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, something practical for us was that we were setting these to-dos, but it, it keeps all your previous to-dos unless you set them to go away again. So some kids, when you impersonate them, you go on, there'd be like 80 things, um, but actually most of it's out of date now and can be deleted. So it's just bearing in mind what they're seeing and how confusing it will look to a parent that's never, you know, thinks purple mash might be some sort of fancy dinner. Well, yeah, and do you know what? <laughs> I'm actually getting a lot of um, emails at the moment from parents and grandparents, which is a little bit naughty, um, <laughs> sort of saying, um, what is this word and how do I teach? Uh, seriously, mm. some, some of the, the chats that we're getting at the moment is, help me teach my child. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, yeah, we, we've asked an awful lot of parents to become teachers overnight and I know um, one thing we've tried to do strategically straight away is ensure there's some consistency if the children know they learn maths by white rose keep doing white rose if they're used to classroom secrets then we use classroom secrets if mm -hmm. we're looking at um, provision in the afternoon we're trying to use everything as familiar as possible because yeah. that also just relieves that anxiety for parents as well who are thinking I've never had to teach this. I don't know how to teach this. And um, like online resources are fantastic, particularly if they accompany videos. And White Rose Maths does the daily maths videos and daily challenges as well. So we're really just trying to keep that consistent because we are asking an awful lot of parents who, as well, have to run their business from home as well. So it's making it manageable as well. And I think in the first week, we've really honed in on the well-being of the children as well. That is vital because they are not seeing friends. Um, children have left the school for the last time in year six and haven't had a goodbye um, and yeah. there's so much of that that actually we need to make sure they're accessible to learning as well mm. and, and, a, and a big credit to the companies like your wonderful company classroom secrets who have knocked up these amazing packs i mean mm. i was looking at yours the other day once we actually had some breathing space that is amazing you know all these resources so i think the the funny thing is we've all got through the short term and then it's yeah. kind of like we're going to need some headspace to go gosh, so what do we provide in the long term? You know, do we want to send some packs home for certain families and how are we going to get them there? And, you yeah. know, I'm just big shout out to the generosity of some of our TAs and people who just, you know, mm. belong to that local community. Like, oh, I'll run that pack over to, you know, whoever at the end of the day, if they're really stuck. And we've had people doing things like that as well as the online learning. So um, it's uncharted territory, but people are doing a great job. I think. It is, it is and, it, and it's interesting you say that because I actually did a Facebook Live on the um, company page today just saying, well you know we had these plans for these resources that we're going to make um for the summer term but we'll scrap that because you don't need that tell us what you actually need because if we're not doing something that's fit for purpose then we're not going to survive this as a business mm -hmm. either um you know cause well, exactly. people need something different i think it's really important i'm really glad to hear that that you're sort of just doing the three tasks because it is all consuming and they don't need to be homeschooling nine till three because you don't they don't have to line up and they don't have to mm -hmm. um, have lunchtime where everyone's got to get through. Mm. They can have so much more playtime. Um, yep. And yeah, I think it would just be awful <laughs> trying to kind yeah. of make I think work. the challenge is in schools, we so often plan everything to be as perfect and we, we eliminate... Um, we eliminate as many variables as we can that might affect a child's outcomes. So this is a real messing with our heads because we're having to accept that there's so many variables out of our control mm. and actually better to stick to some really simple things and do those well and actually really prioritize children's well-being and 
uh, like all our teachers are phoning home to the children once a week for example and mm -hmm. some of those I've been I've been sat in my office doing I call it daddy daycare at the moment because I feel like I'm running a daddy daycare business at the moment and I'm I'm hearing their phone calls home to kids that are just beautiful you know lovely chats where the teachers are just really checking in with the child and making sure they're okay but yeah. it is really funny because the parent you'll hear them go oh no 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 we're not we're not checking in with your uh, provision. We know you're trying really hard. We know you're trying really hard. We're just checking that the child's all right. And we just want to say hello and make sure they have, they don't think we forgot about them. Yeah. Honestly, the parents feel on trial. <laughs> I'm one yeah, of them. they do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and, and especially as um, the, the Patty's teacher knows that, um, obviously, we run classroom secrets, I feel even more. <laughs> yeah, you should be They're using your resources. <laughs> Yeah, this is it. And I'm like, um, right, guys, who can help me with the continuous provision? Because e EYFS is not my thing. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm, I'm surviving. Um, I actually released a podcast today where it's, it's, it'll be the, when this is released, it's the one last week, just about yeah. how the first couple of days went and how mm. bad it was in comparison to what I thought it would be. <laughs> um, anyway, we're getting better. So Good. Good. All right, then. Um, so what concerns have you got then steve let's go with you what concerns have you got about when schools actually return i think initially we don't know how long their children are having off but we know a summer holidays can bring its own troubles when they've been off for so long getting back into routine um we're finishing well we're starting a year in september potentially where we have not finished the previous year so in terms of everyone being at their utmost and knowing what to do from a staffing point of view, are we catching up on the end of the year before we start moving on to next year's learning? There's so many variables that are unknown at the moment that that's a concern in itself. We've got staffing concerns because naturally some staff will move on at the end of this year. So from a leadership point of view, how are we going to be recruiting now that we haven't got a school open to recruit as we normally would, we can obviously do, um, we've had Skype interviews previously, but it's all this uncharted territory where we're just having to come to terms with it really quickly to make sure A, school is set up and ready to go in September, and, and B, that, that we're offering the very best of the children who we haven't seen for potentially five months. Mm -hmm. Russell? Um, I mean, you're assuming September, Steve, and that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the other that's the other thing here like we, we have no sense of timelines and um that's the bit i find really hard i had a catch up with our chair of governors this week which was nice to nice to have but he sort of said so what's your what do you think your recovery plan for this might look like and i just said to be honest i've just got to think i'm trying to get the roads sorted for easter like mm. at the moment that's we're so in the immediate and the short term i mean there are going to be massive gaps uh, slightly frustrating for me we we we're probably due Ofsted in the autumn and we have an RI um, grading at the moment and we're absolutely not an RI school. We're an amazing school that's doing really well, that's gained incredible momentum. You know, the teachers are, and TAs are producing fantastic things for the children. And I just feel like we were really rocking and rolling and the curriculum was flying. Um, and we, we started on the curriculum development very early. Um, so we were really getting our teeth sunk into everything and reviewing and in a really good cycle. So for that to all just be frozen, all the things yeah. I've been telling people not to do, like, you know, I banned words like topic work because we were really hammering subject specific disciplines. Because And now I'm like, just do some nice theme topic <laughs> stuff, you know, project based. 
because actually it has to work with the provision we've got at the moment and the setup. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's frustrating. Um, our children like really know their timetables and things now. So I just hope that doesn't slip. So it's all, all of those sort of things. But I feel like the answers to all this are going to come through um, the, pr the profession talking to each other. I don't think it's, I think we need to avoid lots of people doing lots of different um, individual things. Yes, it will look unique to your community a bit, but I think we need to get some really clever minds together across the country and come up with some big solutions when we get there. I mean, there has been talk, some people have talked about switching the academic year from January to January, haven't they? And things like that, mm. so that you can actually finish off that year. I don't, I don't know what people think of that. Yeah, um, I suppose it's all up for grabs right now, isn't it? I, I've definitely heard September quite a lot, which stresses me out a lot um just mm -hmm. because we've had quite a lot of schools say um oh well we're closed now um so what what are your thoughts on that then so when schools turn around and say we're closed do you think teachers should be expected to be sending work home or not i mean from my point of view um i really relate to the fact that every school situation is unique i think small village schools in particular have been hit really hard by this um my daughter's school is a wonderful little village school but you know one or two staff can't be there and that is not sustainable to stay open on its own um some belong to mats don't they and they've opened a provision jointly um and i get that but then i also am a bit anxious about you potentially still mixing people from different parts mm -hmm. of the community and uh, it's just a minefield i mean uh, obviously i don't think any teacher wants to let down the, the side or let down the children or let down the key workers that need it and i think we're all happy to do our bit i mean i put something on facebook a while ago about being really happy to do my bit and not whinging or moaning because frankly you know i'm still getting paid and so on and like 99 percent of teachers were of that same feeling the one or two that didn't feel we should be in and i get that and i respect that opinion but the vast majority want to be in i think yeah. for me personally if my school wasn't in a position where it could be open and i could help somewhere i i genuinely would want to probably because i just do my nut being at home with my kids all day to be honest <laughs> No, but I saw that post as well, and, and, and I loved that because I'd actually seen quite a bit of negativity, like, you know, why are we being asked to do this? And, and I completely understand that, do you know, what is being asked is a really big thing. But mm -hmm. like you say, it was, it's all about, well, teachers can do this bit, and NHS workers do this bit, and the rest mm -hmm. of the population do this bit. Um, mm. and, and it's kind of that thing. I didn't really mean about schools open or closed, more even if a school was closed, do you think that that teachers should be keeping in contact in some way with their pupils and still providing a, a provision of learning or not because that is happening? Right. For me, I, 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 oh God, God, sorry, I was just going to say, I think, I think that contact from the mm. point I made earlier about the emotional side is, is great if you can still mm. provide it, Steve. Yeah. No, I agree. I think we still be, we're part of a, we're like a cog in this giant machine right now. And we need to be doing our bit for the children's welfare. Could you imagine if we just suddenly go, we are closed, that is end of story. And we're not going to be providing you with an education at the moment. I appreciate fully, everyone has individual circumstances that need uh, to be regarded strongly. But at the end of the day, we, and we know as teachers, the qualities of a normal teacher is something like this compassion that we always want. We always want to do the very best for children in our care. I mean, I have children of my own, but I don't see it as that. I've got a class of 30 year sixes that I wasn't ready to let go of them at all at the moment. So yeah. 
we don't just go, we're closed now, see you later, no transition for you, good luck in secondary school. It is so essential that we're providing for these children at the moment. And there's, yeah, there's so much out there, but like I said, if we just keep it as routine and robust as we can, um, children light up when they get a phone call home. It's not, we're not yeah. checking on them. They actually really appreciate it. It's going, you haven't forgotten about me. That's amazing. And we've got children that keep saying, will the school open in July? Because we'd just like to have that couple of weeks. They know learning won't be normal then, mm. but they would just love to come back just to have a send off and to feel a bit of normality before then going on another five or six week break. Yeah, well, it's it's novel to them anyway, isn't it, for teachers to be phoning home or seeing the teacher on a video in the house. But I was going to ask you that because we've had lots of conversations about what might happen. And I was kind of thinking, you know, especially if they're talking, of, there's been talk of uh, switching the years, there's been talk of not having the, the holidays um, and mm -hmm. switching that round. Um, and I, it did make me think, I wonder if schools are open in September, if they might be able to open for a few days just before for those year six children because oh they've missed out on something really special yeah, yeah. and i am i was personally gutted the fact that i'm in isolation as well my teaching staff at school were brilliant and they we did a skype call with my class and the other year six class and that was touching in itself because it made me feel like i've been able to say goodbye to some of them but it's that determination i, I know i'm going to be calling them over the next few weeks and my staff at school have been fantastic in offering up their help for easter provision as well and fortunately, we've got families that we have a lot of key workers at school anyway, so children will be coming and going. But like you said, if we can offer them anything, a week at school in July would be, it'd mean the world to children, I think. It'd mean the world to our staff as well, because no one's ready to let go yet. No, no, they're really not. Um, so how do you feel that this is going to impact on pupils? Um, so both at this point, but but when they return, you know, what's that impact going to be? What what are we going to have to do moving forward? It's interesting because it could work two ways, couldn't it? Like a lot of talk has been about the appreciation for education, teachers, school. You know, we've already had parents who are off, say, you know, they've missed quite a lot of school, but I don't think they're ever going to want to miss school again in the future because they have really missed Mm. seeing you guys and being at school so one of my I always like to look for the positives one of my hopes is that when we do eventually get back to some sort of normal that there will be a greater value on the power of edu education I don't think any mum or dad's going to want to keep them at home in the future if they don't have to <laughs> yeah. um, and I think so that's a positive I think children are more resilient than we give them credit for emotionally yeah. and I think they are incredibly adaptable probably more so than we are and while we can fear the worst of it all, I think they will get straight back into school routine when it comes. I really do believe that. I think once they feel that comfort and that predictability of school, that won't be a massive issue. For me, it's more around like the curriculum gaps. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mean, I'm not underestimating the emotional well-being. I think they will adapt back, but I think they, I think it's going to be gaps in their learning. And like for me, I've built, for example, a year six curriculum now that builds on a presumed year five curriculum yes so yes for half of that not to have been there what do i do do i do i decide the year six teachers are going to deliver a year five curriculum later? i kind of don't know and i'm gonna mm. worry about that in a bit i think and that, well there might be some guidance on it anyway i guess we don't really know what is is going to happen do we no no <laughs> no I, I can only echo what russell said then sounds of tea um our only concern about pupils is that we know school is a safe place for them and when you're not seeing them that long coming back is going to feel 
odd at first, but I think Russell's dead right in saying that children are resilient. They do adapt easily. And being safe at school and having that routine of school is going to be essential to making sure that we can go back to normality as quickly as possible in what has been a really tricky situation for all of them. Yeah, I think for me, I'm worried slightly about a divide um, because maybe, obviously, I don't know the, the exact percentages, but let's say half and half. So for half of the children um, where the parents are really concerned about their education, then they might come back knowing a lot more. They might not know about the curriculum, but they might have like a wider view and this could have been actually quite good for them. Um, and then you've got the other half of pupils who come back and actually they, they haven't done any of that. And they're, do you see what I mean? It's going to create a bigger, a bigger gap. Yeah. 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 Mm. And I think that's why we have to think really smartly about what we do provide. Um, is it about trying to deliver a curriculum that we had in place or is it about consolidating what we already had and I, I feel like there's a bit of a balance to strike there but for me I would prefer for people to put most of their energy on keeping the basics ticking over rather than trying to yeah because like you say if you can create a massive divide and gap there can't you if you try and deliver a curriculum and you do it so well that only half the kids actually take that in but they're they jump miles ahead so I think that's a really good point yeah mm. and not and not just that so um I mean I was talking um on my last podcast about all these uh, celebrities doing the YouTube videos and um Dan Snow is doing history ones mm. um mm. but I mean I think he put a tweet out saying teachers you know what do you want me to cover but he's not always going to cover the curriculum stuff but I actually think that's really good because mm. they're going to get an opportunity to learn something outside of the mm -hmm. curriculum so they're going to learn new things, which, which is nice because it's, it kind of mirrors, you know, when you have children whose parents take them on lots of trips and then they, they write really well because they've got those experiences that maybe necessarily aren't quite linked to the curriculum. So it's, it's going to be really, really difficult to know, to know where to go. But for some children, it's actually going to be really good yeah it will some some kids are going to get a great deal aren't they and they're going to get to do some really nice things and um, yeah. focus their energies on kind of areas they haven't had time to in school that just kind of enhances their knowledge and their experience of the world but um for a lot of the kids it, it won't be like that and i think for schools we'll find the answers when they return i mean schools are very good at assessment for learning aren't they they will yeah. see where the kids are at they'll see how much they seem to have forgotten and whether they can still pick up a pen properly and you know what teachers are like they're resourceful people that will suddenly have the most incredible catch-up plans and pre-teaching yeah. plans and you know organizations companies like yourself will probably support with things like that and how we can deliver some really good catch-up programs for those that have missed out perhaps it's that kind of thing but we'll, we'll wait and see yeah it's going to be so tricky to figure out what on earth we're all doing <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely so how are you how are you planning out your staff being in school then? Are you on a rotor or? Oh my God. This has been my life. I'm dying of rotor brain damage. It is horrendous. Um, in our first week back, um, we knew we didn't want to shove everyone in on Monday. We literally had Friday afternoon to get a sense of the numbers. Once it became apparent we didn't need all the staff in, 
first decision was just split the staff into a team A and a team B initially. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure there's a good spread of the age ranges. So we're two form entry, year one teacher in this team, year one teacher in this team and so on. Did that with all the TAs, teachers. We then split the week and did Monday to halfway through Wednesday this week and then team B from halfway through Wednesday to Friday. The biggest controversy of that decision was the names team a and team b because the staff <laughs> in team b thought that meant they were like the, the, B the <laughs> so they made up that it stood for team best that was their thing and <laughs> i love that in a panic we can still argue over that exactly it's just, it's just a teacher thing isn't it yeah. oh it's hilarious we're not as, competitive at all <laughs> as the week um evolved it became apparent that if i'm thinking about the science of this i shouldn't probably put the whole staff in the building in one week ideally so i haven't we didn't change it during the week because we really wanted all the staff to get a taste of actually what it's like to mm-hmm. provide this kind of provision and i think if we hadn't have allowed that to carry on this week some of our staff would then have Easter and then come back after that, you know, with three weeks of not seeing this in action at all. So we've done that for this week and that's worked really well. However, after it, we we do go off um, Easter next week and that's a whole different beast for provision like Steve's, but loads of people volunteered and I've spread the load massively. So only like three, four staff going in any day. But our, so, so no sort of teachers doing more than like one, two days over Easter. Then after Easter, the week A, uh, the team A, team B kicks in, but they're doing a week on, week off, which I don't know whether it's perfect. But the staff seem positive. It seems more sensible of only having half staff in. It's probably still slightly too many adults in than there has to be, but some of the people that can work from home um, in other roles in the school have been asked to. And also, I think we have to allow a bit of flexibility if you know a bunch of staff get ill or a bunch of staff yeah. have symptoms so I don't want to split into my, my worry of splitting people off into three teams which I could have done and done like a three-week cycle is I start losing teacher numbers then that rotor goes to pot so that's where I'm at I don't know about you Steve I'm slightly different in the fact that we're trying to work a rotor where you're two days in during the week and then have three days off um, and we kind of we haven't gone into teams but what we have looked at is that we have a DSL in there every day um, member of SLT, a key stage one or an EYFS member and a key stage two. But I mean, at, lot, at the beginning of the week, we were looking at 60 children coming in per day. This has dwindled, particularly after Boris did his um, 8.30 announcement the other night. We saw a massive dip then in um, key worker children coming to school. I mean, we averaged eight and then we had zero coming yesterday and we had just wow. one one child came in today and that was it. So um easter we actually look like we're going more children in at easter rather than term time um which obviously support the key workers who are working over easter now instead of having their time off for family time but we've really gone down to two days three days off cycle um with bare minimum we've got a skeleton staff as it is um and then everyone's just got expectations of checking in with emails we've all got our phases on whatsapp so we're pinging like crazy because if anyone goes into isolation and since we did the original rotor on Tuesday, we've had three more staff going to isolation. So it's a continually adapting and evolving cycle. But we'll get there because we have brilliant staff who want to be part of this um, cycle and they will do anything to maintain the consistency for children, really. We're fortunate. Yeah, which is, which is amazing. You know, teachers have been asked to do something that we never thought that teachers would be asked to do. And... Mm. Um, you know, 99.9% are going, yeah, okay, that, 
of course, of course. Um, so are you, are you covering weekends and evenings by any chance? <clears throat> we're not doing weekends, no, and we, we at the moment are not planning for bank holidays over Easter, but I know some schools are. Um, we are doing 7.45 till 5, um, because when, really when we, it is good, and we, the thing is, when we first started thinking about key workers, and we're very happy to do that from a moral standpoint, we sort of said, you know, is 8.45 to 3 that helpful for most key workers? Um, and no, not really, as, as lovely as it is as an offer. And if that's all you can offer, that's still great. But for us, yeah. at the moment, we have a, a very healthy staff with most people there. So uh, we said, no, that is what we'll provide. I mean, it's being used well. I mean, I think it's it's a bit of an ad, you know thing to adapt to. Like tonight, we, we, <laughs> we had one nursery aged lad left at 3.30 and me and one TA looking after him for an hour and a half until his dad came at five. Now his dad's doing a really important job and we're happy to help, so it's fine, but it's just really different. You know, I'm running around a field yeah. being a, a shark chasing a three-year-old <laughs> up a hill, you know, at, at, at five at night is not the same as my job normally, but, you yeah. know, yeah. Mm. a bit. <laughs> it, it is very interesting um, because um, quite a few of Hattie's, um Friends were going to go in, um, but then they've made the decisions, especially after Boris's um, mm. speech, which I think was a good thing, really, because we need to minimise it as much as possible. Mm. Um, but Ed's uh, Ed's cousin's wife, she is a secondary school teacher in Bradford, and she works in quite a big school. And they got told that their school is a hub school, and they are open evening. Uh, they're open eight to eight weekends too, um, and then oh. they're on yeah. But, but she, I don't think they have to do that many shifts because they, that they've closed a few schools in the area and right. that's the one school and then they're on shifts eight to late and then I think they could choose different areas and I think she wanted to be in the kitchen or something like that. So what I find interesting about it all, I know that, um, I know that everything was last minute, but because guidance wasn't really issued, every school's done it in their own way and yeah. I'm not saying that's not a good thing but it could have been a lot more efficient if they gave more guidance like that. Well, definitely. It a lot more helpful. Well, yeah, and we're not scientists, are we? So uh -huh. I, my first consideration was, you know, I've got to cover for the children that are there and I've got to make sure there's enough bodies. And then it wasn't until I had my planning for this week with half the staff in one half the week and then half the other that I was seeing things on Twitter and some people are like, you can't possibly put all your staff in in one week. And I was like, ah, I'm doing something wrong. And you know, you, yeah. you constantly feel that sense of over, overwhelming guilt if you're getting it wrong or you're putting people at risk. So that's why I changed to one week on one week off, but I still don't know whether that's how much better that is scientifically. The hubs thing, I, I really do get it. And I think people are providing amazing services to support the key workers, but anything where over a relatively short period of time, e.g. seven days you're putting a large volume of people yeah. in that building even if they're not at the same time does worry me and children from different parts of the community um if they don't know anyone yeah 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 it's their well-being but it's also <clears throat> it is virus like are you raising the chances of spreading a virus if you're putting you know even if they're 50 different kids all in the same building at different times your cleaning regime's got to be insane to make sure that there's not we know this virus lives on surfaces for some time I don't know. We're all out of our depth, aren't we, and trying our best. We are. And I saw something on uh, Facebook where, I don't know, a teacher, I maybe was a deputy head or something, and said that his wife worked in um, disease control or something. And she'd said, you need to do three weeks on, three weeks off, so that you've got enough time to 
um, sort of self-isolate, as it were, and get rid of all the, all the symptoms. I thought, wow, but nobody's given any of this advice. Or, no. <clears throat> um, well, and also, Claire, you're weighing that up with, I mean, yeah, I completely get the logic of that, but what about also like the mental well-being of these people? You know, yeah, a yeah. lot of teachers, we've got a good chunk of very young teachers who perhaps live on their own. Are you and they're having to lock down at the moment, so you put them on their own for three weeks at a time. I mean, yeah. mm. I, I I know the virus and making other people ill is is enormous, and I don't want to kind of dismiss that. But actually, you're asking, as you say, an enormous thing of people to do this for months potentially. So uh, the thought, I mean, some of our staff are really quite anxious about a week at home without any face-to-face contacts. Yeah. You know, so lots and lots of texting and, and calling is going to be needed to keep people feeling connected i think um yeah it's a big ass three weeks at home on your own although i will just add to that <clears throat> that the rest of the country have to do that you're lucky you get to leave. <laughs> yeah you're allowed our <laughs> absolutely like and when i get up in the morning i i literally i go out the front door and i like breathe in the spring air i'm like <gasps> And then I drive to work, like feeling all smug and looking at the other drivers and thinking, what kind of key worker is he? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> key worker, bingo. <laughs> They're all wearing high vis jackets, I notice, and we're not. So, like, I might get one. But I, anyone else just, I really want to get stopped. I really want to flash my badge, like, really smug. Like, who do you know who I am? Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping this country going. And I think there's a lot of teachers that want to be. <laughs> I think if, if 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 you get stopped by a policeman, you must ask for a selfie and just say, I need to show this to my staff, I want to be smug. Claire, he's off on one now, you've got to move it Sorry. on. <laughs> oh, right, okay, I'll do my best. Do you, do you have any thoughts, Steve? <laughs> what, Russell said practically everything, hasn't he? Uh, well, I can't even remember what the question even was. Um, oh, the, the, the rotor thing, that was it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> No, I, do you know what? I think, yeah, three weeks on, three weeks off sounds good in theory. Um, obviously, in those three weeks, the one thing, if you're working at school three weeks, people are isolating, like, the, the rapid pace of that at the moment. So, doing, whilst it sounds brilliant, would it work in practice? I don't know. How many um, people would kind of fall off? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we'd have to call in people. And as a, we're part of a, Academy's trust and we're really trying to keep our school isolated in itself we don't want to be a hub school and join all together as a hub because we are like Russell said we're kind of like where my school situated it's got its own little island practically so we want to keep the children there and mm. because we don't whilst I can see the benefits of a hub school particularly from a staffing point of view at the same time do we want to increase the traffic going on and off the mm. the area that we are to go to another school the practicalities don't seem to outweigh the benefits there yeah yeah really interesting um there are so many i know of quite a lot of teachers who work in schools where everybody's got to go in no it kind of defeats the idea of social distancing completely and they've been asked um so when they're asked what they were doing they said oh well you know you don't need to be with the children but you're being paid to work so you can go to another room to plan <clears throat> no how, how can you not do that I, plus i've also heard that teachers are being asked to go into tidy the school etc and clean it now, they are not the jobs that we should be going in for i mean we've got to take it on and think staffing are there to look after key worker children if not stay at home 
and I think we need to be reasonable about what working at home is like. Like I've I've not worked from home yet. I've been in since, as I said, my head had to self isolate, so I've been in every day. Um, and this week, when Team B arrived on Wednesday, listening to their feedback about what life was like at home for two, just two and a half days, and they were saying it's actually really intense. And yeah. by the time I've ploughed through all my online learning that I've got to set for the next day. I've interacted with loads of the children. I've made my phone calls home, which you've asked me to do. My, my day's gone. And even then I like trying to set off an end to my day was really hard because I'm not used to having, you know, working within my own time frame. So, you know, I've sent an email to teachers today about after Easter and it says, we're not going to be asking any new extras of you for when you're at home, because we know that just keeping on top of those basics is enough. So I think mm. it's a time more than ever to treat people with some decency and not expect crazy extras of them. Not, don't ask for timesheets. Don't, um, yeah, just trust people a bit because everyone's trying their best and be aware of the emotional burden of all this is massive. So for some people, you know, if you throw any extra checks or pressure on them, it's really not on. Mm. And we're asking teachers to work from home while supporting their own families they're yeah. they're not they're not clocking in like normally don't go to work for seven thirty, eight o'clock and then leave at five so i mean for me i've had to isolate since this has all happened so i know my own timekeeping has been really poor recently because there is no rigid structure to your day you just keep rolling with the punches that come and then looking after the family on top that's a distraction welcome one but still one in itself yeah it is it is really difficult because also, if you've got children at home, trying to figure that out as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to teach a, a boy who's a year seven. I've got a year 11 at home who's devastated because GCSEs have disappeared. And a seven-month-old baby, that's a lot to handle in itself. That and do the work. Yeah. All in, all in one go, wow. I know. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, then. So let's, let's be positive again. Let's try and find the positives. Um, <laughs> What skills do you think children and teachers could learn from this experience? Uh, um, well, I think looking at my staff in themselves, the CPD opportunities the staff are getting right now, and we're not asking for extras, but even embedding our online platform learning as well. And for us, it's the children as well. We only began the journey of using Purple Mash a few months ago. Already the teachers are really rigorous and getting to terms of it to develop themselves as a teacher so i can see technology is going to do well out of all of this at the end of the day there was a, a fear amongst some staff with technology that i think the walls have been really broken down extremely quickly um, and hopefully we can see that the essence of teaching and a really clear journey of what we're trying to do and the, i think the children whilst they're resilient again they'll appreciate the actual classroom environment as well um, they're adaptable in themselves and really looking at we're looking at friendship issues here I mean there's definitely a collectiveness amongst children who have not seen each other but learning about how they can communicate with themselves properly outside the school building and for our staff I've got to say they've been incredible in this collective network that we've really formed I mean the conversations that are happening whilst they happen in the building anyway when you're forced to do it remotely what you see in terms of educational talk and everything is is heightened at the moment so long may that continue they really have had to to learn some things and fast haven't they um and mm. i suppose they've sometimes um you might get a little bit of resistance but there's been no room for that so in a way that's kind of been useful i guess 
Mm. Absolutely. Russell? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, echo what you're saying, Steve, about adapting to different ways of working. And uh, one of the benefits for me is people um, interacting with children across a much uh, wider age range. So um, even though we've kind of made sure there's those split of those teachers from different age ranges in each of our teams, we're kind of in three broad phases within that because we've got about 30 kids coming each day. They tend to be like a, a group of 10 from kind of nursery to year one and then year two to four mix and then a five, six mix. So one of my year six teachers today said, oh, it's been really nice working with the year fives today. And equally, you know, because they're helping out with things like the breakfast club provision, some of the teachers, I saw my year four teacher like having a laugh with the nursery children today. So I think there's something really sweet there and people getting to understand the different age ranges and, and their needs and feel more like a collective responsibility for all the children in our school. Um, so maybe if, if this whole thing breaks down those barriers of I'm in this team and this is my age range, that's got to be a positive, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and not just that, it's the relationships as well. Mm. Um, the children are going to make relationships with children in other years, and, and mm. that is nice because that you don't always see that, do you? <clears throat> no, not at all. I think even the relationships of parents as well. I mean, we're fortunate. We have a really loving parental community that want the best for their children and really engage with the school, but actually they're they're appreciating that this is an unknown territory as well. We're not demanding of them in terms of you must be doing this homeschooling nine till three, for example. We're really letting everyone settle in in bed and they're really appreciative of what we're doing for the children. So I think that mutual respect just heightens the greatness of the community that we're in. I agree with that. I've seen that already. So I suggested to um, Hattie's teacher that uh, normally they set up a WhatsApp group and then exit it when the children start at, at Hattie School and they hadn't done. So I just suggested that that could be done. So already the, the conversations that have happened has been really nice, you know, in that WhatsApp group. But also with the teacher, there's been so much more communication and I feel like I know so much more, even though she's only been homeschooling a week. It's, it's weird, but it's everybody kind of pulled together. It's like the whole, I don't know whether at eight o'clock, you um, sort of clapped on the street but there were people clapping all along the street and, and it's, it's that nice community like yes we're doing this together. Mm, it was quite emotional actually to I was hanging out my window upstairs putting the baby to bed but really clapping for but we had people banging tins and playing yeah, drums yeah. and it turned into a bit of a little rave afterwards and people really blowing <laughs> fog horns it was fantastic though because it just showed how respectful everyone is of each other at this moment in time yeah i think yeah, you're seeing the sorry go sorry on. yeah i was just gonna say you're seeing the best of people aren't you you're seeing yeah. people bury their hatchets you're seeing people look for the best in one another being more sensitive to each other's wobbles i mean because i've kind of been a bit isolated in the slt office because uh assistant head can't be in my head can't be in at the moment and so many people just say are you okay are you coping all right little texts and things and I've never had that much of, of that from mm -hmm. my staff. So to feel like they're looking out for me, I'm looking out for them. That's that's something that camaraderie I think is going to bond us for for quite a significant amount of time. Yeah, yeah. and I think seeing that in so many places, I've definitely seen it at work as well. You know, everyone's pulled together more than they normally do because of the circumstances, and and it's always um, a positive thing in in a time of need, isn't it? Um, okay then. So. Before I get to the closing question, let's um, just talk about this then. How is this going to change the way we teach? 
What a big question. Who wants that big question? He's smiling. He wants it. <laughs> yeah, I can see. Well, I mean, for me, for me, one one of the big things is I actually don't think I don't think it should. I think it's proven how important being with kids is. I think the technology is amazing, and I think you'll see loads of innovation, but I don't think it can replicate being with a class full of children. As one of my teachers said earlier, it's just that ability to just go. Megan's just done the most amazing bit of writing. I just want to share a bit of that with you. Like you can't replicate that instantly in a, in the beautiful, natural, organic way that you get in a classroom with everyone there. So my hope is it doesn't fundamentally change everything. I hope it just like leads to more respect for education. Yeah, as as it has. I been. so agree with that. I think if there's two things that come out that'd be amazing, it'd be exacerbate the appreciation for everyone. That's appreciate the parents' support, the children's support, and the teachers and the educator support and forming stronger relationships i think if we can do that from this and it seems to be rolling that way that'll put education in a really good place if everyone i mean we've had a letter today haven't we from education secretary even that letter in itself that appreciation from uh, the education secretary just beams people's smile and they thought wow we're appreciated in this big picture here if we can carry on doing that education will be in a really solid place when we return to normality Mm. Um, all right then last question so who was who was your favorite teacher at school and why go on Sam. I'll take it um primary school I've got two teachers that have defined my so-called pathway in life um my first one was uh, a female teacher called Mrs Graham she's in my primary school I just moved into the area and I was at a new primary school and there's a lot of pressure going on. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be lost in this school because I've gone from a very small school to a bigger school. Um, that was amazing because she showed the compassion that I really looked for in somebody at that time. And we had animals in our classroom. She brought in ducks and rabbits and everything. Oh, wow. And there was just this, yeah, so it, was, it reminds me of such a unique experience, but she really bonded the class together and really showed how, collaboration was vital to being successful because going from a small school you kind of like led to do your own thing to a degree and it's probably changed hugely now but being in this school a big school and a with such unique opportunities she really showed me the way of how to work together mm. um another teacher in my i was going into my sixth form so this is the end of gcse's and i remember she pulled me aside and said, I need to have a talk with your parents because you're quite argumentative. And I was thinking, oh gosh, I've got downhill here. Um, she got my parents in and she said, look, he is one of the most conscientious boys I've ever taught. And he can argue his way out of a paper bag. And I was feeling the worst, but also quite flattered by her recognising that I do try to work hard. Um, and she kind of defined my pathway because before I did teaching, I went to law. And it was a way that she was trying to say, whatever weaknesses you have you use them as your strengths and the fact that she thought I was argumentative she's like just tailor it in the right way and it's always stood, stood by me when I look at pupils who I think struggle in class etc I always think how can we tailor what your your personality is like at the moment how can we build on it and improve yourself as a person but also use what you've got to make you a better person and she really did and it's always stuck with me but she had belief in me even though to her and to me, I, I was an argumentative boy from time to time, but actually it's that faith and belief in me to succeed that really I like to try and replicate that when I'm working with any child that I work with in the school. 
I love that she inspired you. What did you want Definitely. to grow up? Uh, when I was very young, I was uh, I wanted to be a vet. Then I a footballer was always my dream. Um, a lawyer, and I did get I was fortunate enough to be a lawyer before being a teacher. But there's a balance of wanting to do both. But as long as I could improve people's lives, and I was calling and say that, but that's what I always wanted to do: work and help people. So if I need any help with law, I know who to come to. Thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Russell. Who was your favourite teacher at school, and why? Steve, um, hey. it's, a bit, it's a bit cringy. He wasn't my teacher. He's not that old, although he's older than <laughs> me. I just want to point that out. Um, but I have to say it is cringy. But when I worked with Steve, he was the first teacher that I really felt jealous of, like annoyingly jealous of because he was so good and how he would... What I loved about his teaching that I think people need to take on if they haven't yet is the ability to show every child that he adored them even if deep down he didn't it was amazing <laughs> and and you really really believed if you stood in his class for a minute that every kid in his class were adored and valued and loved and I was a bit of a grumpy sod a few years ago and I don't think I always did that I feel like I really do do that now um so he really inspired me with that so um in terms of my own education for me like Steve talked a bit about higher education and whatnot it was really like some of my uni lecturers that I remember and um don't get me wrong, I had lovely teachers in primary and secondary, but I had two uh, uni lecturers that really affected me. Um, I was your classic kind of B student that could just kind of blag my way through and do all right just by not trying particularly hard. And one tutor, a bit like Steve's experience, just turned around to me one day, and I think I'd done one essay where I'd bothered a bit, and she said, God, oh, you can really write. I did an English literature degree. She was like, you should really, like, you should be aiming for a first. Why aren't you aiming for a first? I was a bit late to aim for a first because I've been getting two one grades my whole degree. But all my essays after that point were first grade essays for the rest of the year. She completely changed my mindset about my mm. capabilities. And another one in that in, in, at uni who just really, um, some people really didn't like him, but he was really, um, could be really abrupt. And he'd say things like, put your pen down. I just want you to think. And he really engaged you in really challenging conversations. and it was the first teacher that I'd met who wasn't overly worried about just being liked, but really knew that their job was to make me think harder. And I like that. And so as a primary teacher, I have to find a balance, but I do believe it's not just about being liked and adored. There's respect and trust and, and warmth there, but actually we've got to really push these kids and get them to think differently than they're used to thinking. And what did you want to be when you grew up? uh footballer probably like steve and like most kids of that generation before youtubers had kicked in um <laughs> i think there was something always niggling about teaching and it wasn't until i was at uni where i met my wife actually and she she was the kind of sensible person in my life that when you do realize if you want to do teaching you have to like get some experience and get yourself sorted so she kind of gave me the kick up the bum and i i did some work experience and some youth work and stuff and that got me into that so teaching's i think always where i've, I've wanted to be really so when you worked at the same school as Steve, was that mm. when you first started teaching? No, so it was Steve's first school. Um, even though he's a bit older than me, did I mention he's older than me? Um, he, <laughs> yes, I'm right, asking. <laughs> yeah, he had, done, he had done. I went straight into teaching after doing my English degree and then a PGCE. So I didn't experience the real world like sensible adults like Steve. So he went off and <laughs> travelled a bit and did law and went to Australia and had some fun. I settled down very quickly and got into my got into my job so I worked at one school before Steve's I'd done three years there and I'd been like a math so I came to the same school as a math lead 
Um, and then, so then Steve kind of became a middle leader in the school and then we both kind of went up together really and became assistant heads together. So it was a really great time for us because we kind of grew mm. together through learning all the harsh lessons of leadership, people management, all that. Yeah, well, you've got a great relationship. It's been really interesting for me to listen to you, but also watch you because we're, we're on video, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We I've are. been nodding along a lot, like, oh, yes. I like <laughs> yeah, and then, um, yeah, when... Um, when Russell gave Steve that massive compliment, Steve definitely danced, just to let you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for just giving up your time on an evening, because we've been on quite a while now. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being on the Teachers Podcast and, um, and talking about the kind of things that people want to talk about right now. Um, you know, I've got two podcasts in the bank, but I don't want to release them because who cares about that right now? Who cares about um, yeah. <laughs> things that are not coronavirus and coping with home learning? So thank you so much for, for stepping in and, and, and making sure that we can keep things relevant. And um, yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been awesome. a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah. And I just want to say to everyone, just like take a day at a time. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah. Look after yourselves as well. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And also, you've got a podcast and, and we should listen to it. Yes, don't shoot the deputies is our podcast, and you just made me laugh when you were talking about irrelevant things. Like Steve and I always try and time a podcast that's really useful. So our last one was looking for a new job, <laughs> looking for a new job, um, and we're like, that's gonna that's gonna go down a storm in Easter. Um, <laughs> about the most irrelevant podcast probably for most people that they could possibly imagine right now. So we're gonna just plug this one for like three months, even though it's not ours, because it's just a. Uh, a pleasure to talk about something that is relevant to what people are thinking about right now and Claire you've been a great host thank you absolutely right. um it's very strange to to podcast people who actually have a podcast as well um I'm feeling the pressure but thank you thank you so much for listening to say that this was the first interview I conducted in this way I think it went rather well if I do say so myself I'd love to know what you're up to too and how your school is dealing with the current crisis. Right now, we're all experiencing similar things at the same time and it's good to talk about those things and how we're feeling so if you have a relevant story to share with all of my listeners, then please get in touch. I think that this topic is useful for all teachers so please share the episode with them too. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing SLT, head teachers, parents and teachers to find out how they are coping with the current situation. I'll also be interviewing some members of the Classroom Secrets team to find out how to get the best out of Classroom Secrets kids, our new sister website for children, and it's currently free. Schools across the world have now closed, so it's a great time to get listening to podcasts. So don't forget to go back and listen to the previous episodes. You'll find everything that we talked about including links to Stephen Russell's group and their podcast in the show notes. And if it's the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, then remember to subscribe and explore all the other episodes as we've had some truly inspirational and knowledgeable guests. And as I said, it's a really great time to tap into some free CPD. If you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called the Teachers Podcast Community. I'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a review on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, 
a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.